Hi, this is Betsy Beers. I'm the executive producer of Grey's Anatomy, Scandal, How to Get Away with Murder, and our new show, The Catch. And this is Shondaland Revealed, the official Shondaland podcast for the night that we like to call TGIT. And today, actually, it's our last podcast for the season, which is incredibly exciting because I'm going to get to talk to one of my favorite people in the world. But it's also very sad because it's the last podcast of the season. But that will give me a little bit of time to rest my voice for a few months. But in the meantime, I'll be awfully excited to come back because I'll have all these shows to talk about because it's going to be super exciting. And one of the shows which is coming back, which I'm super excited is coming back, and I'm very excited to talk about the season finale, which of course was two hours, is The Catch, which just got its season two pickup, about which we're thrilled. That's um, Aku and Holly, they're both clapping. And appropriately with me today is the incredibly talented and wonderful and longtime friend of ours at Shondaland, Alan Heinberg. Hi, Betsy. Alan Heinberg um, has been with us off and on for many years, right? It's true, since 2006. 2006, which is actually, for the trivia buffs who really shouldn't have this kind of trivia because it's really boring trivia, was the same year that I quit my job and came over to Grey's Anatomy full time. Me too. Right? Yes. So Alan and I have that in common. So we know what Alan is wearing. Oh gosh. Alan is wearing a... I apologize. Alan, I'm just going to say it's Alan's downtime right now because he hasn't started gearing up for the next season of The Catch yet, but he is just taking five seconds, hopefully, to himself. Um, Alan looks very sporty today. He's wearing a gray sweatshirt with a little zip up thing in the front, but it's, it's nice. It's kind of a, it's kind of a zippy sweatshirt with a white shirt and a blue collar underneath it and some very styling black shorts and some matching black tennies with, what is that color? It's a that, neon swoosh. It's a neon swoosh, you guys. Yeah. I think that's all you guys need to know. I just came from the gym. So he just came from the gym and I didn't just come from the gym. And instead what I'm doing is I'm eating some dark chocolate that Holly has very kindly supplied for us. Holly, as you know, who produces the podcast, brought us dark chocolate, which is one of my favorite things in the world, as a special treat for the last podcast. Very, very sweet of you, Holly. It's almost as good as the bourbon mm. that Holly brought podcast before last. Wow. But I have to say today, I'm, I'm incredibly excited about the dark chocolate. Okay, now speaking of other sweet things, that season finale was pretty damn sweet. Oh. A lot of people get together. There's a big ass cliffhanger at the end. So let's just be clear here that um, I don't know what's gonna happen next season because you haven't written it no, yet. No, we haven't written it yet. But that was, a. I mean, that's bad. She's going to jail. Well, or is he going to jail? He's going to jail. Or maybe both of them. Will... Well, we don't know. The investigation into Alice could continue, That's especially right. because the FBI, you know, they're pretty convinced that she's up to no good. So it could get even more complicated when we start season two. But uh, Ben is definitely going to jail. He confessed. He did. They have in a verbal confession. That very scary FBI agent. She's great. She was really scary. I would have told her everything. Yeah. But the whole this whole double episode, I think we learned a lot about the Kensington firm. We learned a lot about the relationship between oh. Ben and everybody with a Kensington firm. It's kind of this amazing cat and mouse for two episodes and my favorite counterfeiter in the world. She's Nira so fantastic. Dallas, How who has the best so dog? I know. Lamb Chop is the dog's name. We love Lamb Chop. Okay, so let's just talk about Lamb Chop yeah. and where did you find Lamb Chop and how did you come up calling Lamb Chop Paul McCartney which made me laugh out loud till stuff came out of my nose well, at the table read. I am a dog owner as you know because we're I both dog owners. Dogs. Yes, yes. And you know when you go to the dog park you hear people call their dogs across the park and all these great names come up and I was with my friend a recording artist named David Greco. We were at a dog park and somebody I heard someone call for Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton and I thought that was the best thing I'd ever heard and he said I'll do you one better 
my wife and my dog's names are Paul McCartney and Amy Grant. And so that was the best thing I'd ever heard. I love both Paul McCartney and Amy Grant. But the most disconcerting thing is as our conversation continued, I'd say, what'd you do over the weekend? And he's, he'd say, well, we went out with Paul McCartney and Amy Grant and we blah, 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 blah. And of course, I, it took me a second to remember he was talking about the dog, so I was filled with jealousy. Anyway, I never got over the dog Paul McCartney. And so when we started talking about, we're all dog lovers on the catch and we all pretty much have dogs. And so we wanted to cast a dog mm -hmm. and when we gave Nia the dog he I just had to call him Paul McCartney oh yeah so. and as you probably know because I think we've talked about this I am obsessed with naming a dog after celebrities one of my best friends had a dog that was Dean Martin first oh yeah Dean Martin and then Tay Diggs his dog's name was Sammy Davis Jr. really so I was gonna get a dog named Angie Dickinson so oh, we could have the Rat Pack that would be amazing and then it didn't work out oh I know exactly what that dog looks like right too. Yes. you totally do and then when I got my dog whose name is Willie I really wanted a girl dog so I could call it Dusty Springfield, which you and I have discussed yes. too, because I really wanted to be able to stand at a dog park and scream Dusty Springfield yeah. at the top of my lungs. I want that too. Um, but Paul McCartney is great because he's still alive. Yeah. So it is more like I was out with Paul McCartney the other day as opposed to, oh, I don't know, Sammy Davis Jr. What kind of dog is we Paul McCartney, do you know? Paul McCartney is a bit of a lamb chop, I guess. You know, she's a she, I think, playing a he, playing Paul McCartney. And I sort of asked for a couple different kinds of dogs. And, you know, just as with regular human casting, there's animal casting. Lamb Chop was just, I don't even know what kind of dog that Lamb Chop is. With the minute I laid eyes on him, I had to have I him. think Lamb Chop Her. is the adorable breed. Yes. I think technically, probably the American Kennel Club calls it the adorable, adorable breed. breed. I would go for that. There's probably a Latin name for that. There probably well. is a Latin name for that. Um, so I'm sorry, <laughs> podcast listeners. I wish I had that information, that it's inside okay. information. It's okay. You know what? It's, you've told us a lot about the genesis of the name Paul McCartney, which is incredibly delightful and we're very happy about. Yes. Now, a couple of the other really notable things about this double episode is the casting, I think, first of all, of Leslie Nichols. I mean, there's John Sim. I want to get into that in a second, too, because yeah. John kind of hangs the moon, in my personal opinion. Mine, too. And when John Sim walked on to set and was at a table read, I think, for episodes five or six, I was so kind of flipped out about how excited I was to meet John that I don't even think I went up and introduced myself. He was super cool, but Leslie Nichols, who we all know... As Mrs. Patmore. Hang She's Mrs. Patmore. Okay, so my friend, so Michael... Cool. I have a friend who's a director, Michael Engler, who's an amazing director, and I've He's been wanting great. to get him to Sean Lynn yeah. forever. He directed the series finale of Downton Abbey this past year. And uh, episode six, I think, the season before that. And so he spent most of the year in England doing that. And Leslie Nichol became one of his dearest, closest friends. And so he would brag about dinners with Leslie and dinners with Maggie Smith. And, you know, it's, I'm all, annoyed. it's all delightful. But I was a little jealous, I have to say. We were having dinner when he got back. And he said, you know, Leslie's here. And I would love to introduce you to you. would love each other. And I said, well, would she be interested in doing the catch? And he said, oh my God, I'm sure she would love to do the catch. I'll just put you guys in touch. At that point, we had talked about the benefactor, and this was while we were shooting the pilot. And I guess I'll just tell the John Sim story too. You do, do. I have a dear friend whom you know, Julie Gardner, used to be one of the heads of BBC Worldwide TV, but she essentially produced the revival of Doctor Who with Russell T. Davis. Which is so cool. It was the two of them and Phil Collins, and the three of them did that. And I left Shondaland originally when I left Grey's in 2010 to go and develop a pilot with the BBC and with Julie. And Julie obviously worked with John 
in Doctor Who. So they're great friends. And they did another show together for BBC America called The Intruders a year ago. And so she said to me while we were shooting the pilot, do you think you'll have anything that John could do because he really wants to come over? In fact, he was in town a year ago and I tried to get him to sit down with you and Shonda. I remember that. And it never worked out. And I said, well, do you think he would do it if we cast him? And she said, oh yeah. We had this conversation without consulting him, of course. He's All best decisions are made actually with not consulting right. the person who's involved, and, I think. And if people don't know, he is one of the finest living actors on the planet, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and actually, I think widely underpraised. Yeah, if you're not in England, in England, everybody knows who he is. Yep. And I discovered him the way a lot of people did with a show called State of Play, an eight episode miniseries that you have to go out and watch right now because it's amazing with David Morrissey and Kelly McDonald and James McAvoy is in it. It's one of his earliest TV things. Yep. And, and John is the star of it and is amazing. And then of course, everybody knows him from Doctor Who in this country. Uh, more recently, he played the master. And so just the idea of writing something for him was so unbelievable to me. I said, tell John if he's up for it, I'll just create a part for him. Mm -hmm. He can come over, We'll just do whatever he wants to do if he's willing. So there was never any plan at all. I just thought, we'll do something with John. So we went and we talked to ABC Casting and we said, how about John Sim and Leslie Nickel? And they said, for what? And I said, well, I think they'd be involved in this British crime family we've been talking about. And ABC Casting said, we love both of them. Let's do it. And so we pinned Leslie as far back as the pilot for yeah. episodes nine and 10. Yep. We started talking to John's agent and John was gonna do six, seven and eight and nine. And then we basically begged him to stay for 10. For a while, Leslie was gonna be the benefactor. Yeah, that was that was early on. And then we just decided- To it simplify. Was like, to simplify, because it was just too much goodness. Yeah, in and one we thought we were gonna show. bring them both in at the same time. That's right. And I just, it became overwhelming to try to give these two formidable actors, you know, bring them both in in the same episode. So it seemed smarter to bring John in and establish as the benefactor and then save Leslie for the two-part season finale as mom as the as the queen of this empire that's right and bring her in that way so that was a big day though the day that Leslie came in because I wanted to show her the pilot to tell her what she was in for and she's the most delightful human being you've ever met <laughs> and the most amazing thing like we we put her in the conference room and we gave her salad and we set her up in front of the pilot and she was so adorable but as we left you have to walk past the accounting department to get to my office as you leave the conference room and so she was in, so enthusiastic and boisterous about her love for the pilot. As we walked past accounting, you could see every head, like people just recognized Mrs. Patmore's and her voice. voice. Head after head would pop out of the accounting offices like, was that Mrs. Patmore? What is Mrs. Patmore doing here? I mean, we're such huge fans of hers and of the well, show. Well, and look, one of the best things you did was you put her in the kitchen. I put her in the kitchen. I had to. Which was so funny. And you told me you were going to do that. And I thought that was such a funny idea because you see her in her little cap and she's getting all pissed off because she's watching the feed from the other room. Yeah. It's like, it's like the anti-Pat Moore. I think that was really fun. And the other person I think that was actually really cool was Zach Knighton. Oh, that was a well, dream both too. Both of them actually. The, both Sally the, too. Sally too, who I love. Sally, who you all might know from Scandal, who played a role in Scandal a while ago. She played Lisa Kudrow's sister, I believe, who was sort of her campaign manager. Not a comic role. First of all, she's a delightful human being. The best. But she was, because I think this episode actually took a real comic turn. I mean, it became it just was a pure almost romantic farcical comedy. at yeah. points. Part yeah. of the fun was 
was just sort of busting out of what the expectations of a show like this are and to go directly into what this is, which is a romance. Yeah, and a screwball one too. Yeah, so I thought the two of them played that just delightfully. Yeah. That was super, super We fun got too. really lucky and that happened with Nia too. You know, in television, you have so little lead time that by the time, all I knew about Nia's character was that we had a counterfeiter coming into the show. And it, some days it would be a man and some days it would be a woman. And the way that I work, and you know this, I called Linda, Linda, Lowy, Linda Lowy, our, our head of casting, who is a casting genius, genius, brilliant person, and Jamie Castro, who works with Linda, who's also a genius. And I said, they said, well, what can you tell me about the counterfeiter? And I said, I can't tell you anything about the counterfeiter, but who do you have available with a wildly comic edge that I can create a character for? And she had Nia. And I was like, done, we don't have to go any further. I'll just write something for Nia. And the same with Zach. I said like, she said, well, who is Morgan? Who do you want Morgan to be? And I said, well, you know, if we could like, if I could just raid the cast of Happy Endings, it would be Zach Knighton and Eliza Coop. And so Zach was amazingly available and Eliza was not available. And because I said Eliza, Linda said, you know, nobody knows that Sally can do comedy, but she's unbelievable. And then we got, I just feel like we've been so lucky all season. Our guest cast is Your guest cast has been unbelievable. Un absolutely unbelievable. And I to think. these actors' tribute, like, they came to play. I think it's also, the plotting for the last couple of episodes is so intricate and it's super clever. How far along, and I think I know the answer to this, but I want people to hear this. When, when did you decide in your head that the end was going to be the end, which is, uh-oh, Ben's getting arrested. Who knows what the hell's going to happen to Alice? And Margo gets away scot-free. Did you? How long ago did you figure that out? That There are a couple of things. You had a couple of big pieces that you knew. Kind of. Vaguely. Yes. I knew fairly early on, Shonda was the one who actually said, that's the end of your season. I pitched her a big arc. We talked about that. That's right. Yeah. I pitched her a big arc. The moment where Ben comes back into AVI was always a huge moment for me because it would be the first time that Valerie was seeing him, Danny was seeing him, and it would carry a huge emotional power for those two characters, especially this guy who ruined their lives. Mm -hmm. and, and Alice may have forgiven him, but they haven't. Mm -hmm. And when I pitched him coming back in to say, Alice is missing, I need your help, that was one thing. But I, I sort of knew that I wanted Alice framed for everything by the end of the season. And that it made sense to me that it was either going to be Sybil doing it, but it would be more powerful if it was Margot winning in the end. Mm -hmm. Like Sybil gets the upper hand over Margot for episode 10, but that Margot ends up using the painting to frame Alice and Alice gets taken away. And then I knew Ben's coming back and saying, take me. I didn't know it was the end of the season. I think it was like the end of episode nine or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Shonda said, no, that's the end of your season. You can't go past that. That's There's nothing better than that. And she was right. Yeah, it's a great ending. So. It's a great ending. And I still don't know Thank how everybody's uh, going to sort out. And by the way, my chair's squeaking a lot today, you guys. So a lot of fun. Um, you look good in it. Thanks so much. It's all that matters. Alan, thank you guys you so can only much. imagine. What, what do you think your favorite scene is from the finale? Do my you have favorite one? scene from the finale? From the, from the two-parter. Oh, yeah, I do have one. What is but it? But it's my own weird favorite one. That's why we're asking. This is going to sound so strange. It's the Danny Sophie Sean stuff in 10. <laughs> it is. It's, that is my, in some ways, there's, their story has been the hardest to chart because we have the least amount of real estate for them to yeah, develop them. Yeah, and this them. is an ongoing thing throughout the course of this first season. I feel like always in shows, the thing that gets shot in the head is the thing that is less connected to the actual big plot. Right. So the plot has to make sense, which it means all the fun so character room. stuff goes down the drain. And there have been a bunch of times where you really had sort of fleshed out the Sophie-Danny relationship and yeah. it keeps sort of getting cut back, both in shooting and in post. It's true. And that used
used to happen on Scandal all the time with oh Hawk my God. and Quinn. And then sometimes it just popped up in another episode. Right, and then we'd use that footage. So we were just talking about how we were going to resolve this, and there was a lot of discussion about whether or not Agent Sean, played by an actor called Caleb Smith, who I love and who's a friend of mine, mm -hmm. whether Sean is a viable third leg of that triangle. And I said, you know, it was never really my intention to make Sean the third leg of a triangle. It was all in Danny's head the whole time. Like, Danny's so overwhelmed by the sheer mass of this man. And, you know, Danny's a neurotic and he gets in his own way and... And Sophie just fed into that and, and thought it was hysterically funny. Yeah. So we were in the writer's room and I was like, you know what I would really love? And I said, and me, this is me talking as a gay man. So I was like, shut me down if it's just gay wish fulfillment. But what I would really love is for Sean to have been after... Oh, you know what sold me on this? When we shot episode four and Caleb says to Jay Hayden, look, it was really fun to be part of that sting with you guys. I really enjoyed it. He gives Danny this look and I didn't notice it until we were in post, until we were in editing. But I was like, oh, Sean has a crush on Danny. And I didn't know like whether if it was a man crush or like whether it was just, there was just something about that look where I was like, oh wow, this, this is where the heat is, is between these two guys. So I know that Danny isn't gay. I don't know, it just, I thought at the end of the season, wouldn't it be fun if Sean basically is like, no, it's been you the whole time, Danny. Well, and, and the best part is the some like it hot twist where yeah. Danny says, I gotta go out. Yeah. <laughs> just like, and that's just so funny. I, I love it so much. And it, that's my favorite thing is like, we live in a world now where you don't have to be straight or gay. And where I believe Danny sort of does have a man crush He's on Sean. He's got a Superman crush because Sean is everything he always you wanted to be. You can't say no to Agent Sean. Sean can do everything. So anyway, that's my favorite moment because we got to have our cake and eat it too. My favorite thing about Agent Sean is the real live Agent Sean, the actor, your buddy, running into him on set one day where I was like walking towards stage and he was walking away and he, I think, was eating something along the lines of like a carrot stick. And I said, hey, how's it going? What's going on? He said, I'm just, said, I'm keeping my figure. Yeah. Because he was He's... sort of like, I know, I know one of the big things that I provide here is my hulking physique. It's so true. I'm not going to get in the way of it. And I was like, don't you want something else to eat? He was like, no, ma'am. He's an impressive human. And, and Jay's relationship with him on set was not dissimilar. Because you can't not have that conversation with him. Like, what do you eat? Like, how often do you work out? And can I touch your arms? Well, and Jay, by the way, who spends a fair amount of his time. Oh, yeah, time, Jay's works out all work, the time. Where he works out all the time. All I don't time. know if you guys remember anything from the episode a couple of episodes back where uh, we find Jay in bed. Shirtless. Jay might have some packs, 12 uh, our, or so. Our, our costume designer is livid with Jay and begs him to stop working out because his shoulders get too big for his very tightly fitted. And you guys were trying to keep under budget. Costumes. Like so. it's just, it's, it's a little tiny bit rough. Is there any character on the show that you identify with more than anything else? Yeah, I mean, kind Besides of. Agent Sean. They're all, yeah, I wish. <laughs> um, life would be so much better. At least that's what I say to myself in my head at night. I love all the characters equally. And I think I've said this in the press, but what happens to Alice's character in the pilot, a version of that happened to me in my life. I have some really strong feelings about that situation. But voice-wise, oddly, Danny was sort of the closest in terms of just like the way I talk. Danny talks the way I talk. Yeah, he does. And then a weird thing happened when we hired John and I knew I had to create a role for John Sim that was worthy of him because I love him so much. It unleashed this other thing 
thing in my head and now Reese, all I want to do is write Reese. Well, it's funny because at table reads, sometimes if John isn't there, you read Reese and it just, I it do. sounds like you're not even trying. It's a weird thing. It's a switch <laughs> flipped in my head. But I love writing for all of these actors. I have to say it's been such a huge privilege and, yeah, it's super fun. and pleasure. We got so lucky with this cast. Um, we've got a couple of fan questions for you. Oh, wow. Um, watch too many shows at TV Geek wants to know, what is the pressure like to join also an already amazing TGIT lineup and how do you prepare for that? So much pressure. There's so much <laughs> pressure. Honestly. Like, you didn't have time to have pressure. We well, threw you into this so fast that no, you were true. just, you kind of like hit the ground running. It's true. And the nice thing was, because one day I was working on Scandal and the next day I was working on The Catch, is you have those Shondaland filters in your head already. So in terms of what's a great story, what's not a great story, what's a great character moment, how fast does this thing have to move, how do people talk? I just sort of ran everything through the Scandal filter. Um, and you're right, I didn't really have time to do anything except consider the characters and the world mm -hmm. and build the show as quickly as we possibly could. Mm -hmm. But I will say, I didn't want to let the team down at all. You know Melon, what I mean? you did not let the team down. Well, that is for sure. It's very kind of you to say. Season two, baby. Okay, there's Rose. There's still time. <laughs> Rose at Argyle 93. How did you come up with the reimagining concept of the show? You guys gave me the freedom to do whatever I wanted to do, except I had to keep the central premise, which is that this woman gets taken by the man she loves. And I had to keep the sets that had already been built, which was her house and her office. Mm -hmm. I had to try to keep as many costumes as possible. Oh yeah. And I had to keep the cast yep. intact. So I thought a lot about the capery movies. I knew that my sensibility was far more romantic, comic, capery than the creator of the show's aesthetic was. Yep. And my approach would be frothier. All my stuff tends to be funny, at least to me. Not that I knew we wouldn't have to do life and death stakes, but Grey's is funny and Scandal is funny and I wanted the catch to be funny in those ways too. Mm -hmm. And so I just sort of reimagined, mostly it was about reimagining Pete Krause's character first. Once you bring Pete into the mix, how do you make him a con man you can fall in love with and a con man worth watching? And on the scale, that could be a good match for Mireille Enos in that office. Mm -hmm. So it had a lot to do with that office actually. It's so high end. Like if she's the best, and I knew I wanted her to be a private investigator immediately, mm -hmm. just for the story areas. It forced me to sort of create a con artist who was operating at that international level and it suggested James Bond and it suggested a world. Then it just sort of took off by itself once I got into that sort of international crime and espionage Exactly. Um, Marcella Rabella wants to know any plans to invite Lauren Graham to the show oh so God. she can work with Peter. I would love that. She's going to be, be cool? so busy with her Gilmore Girls movies, but I would she love is. nothing that would be so cool. more. Well, and you did a little bit of spousal I casting did. this season. I did. Alan Ruck was very generous with us. He is married to Mireille Enos in real life and they have two amazing kids. And I knew right away, one of the first questions I asked Mireille when I met her was, would Alan come on and be willing to play Valerie's ex-husband? And he was, and we, we all benefited from it. And uh, I, I did a season of Gilmore Girls, so I worked with Lauren on that show and I adore her. So, you know, I always forgot that you did a season of yeah, Gilmore Girls. Yeah, I did Girls. season That's two. Funny. So if Lauren was up, if you're listening, Lauren. Lauren, if for some reason you listen to this podcast, but something tells me maybe you've got better things in your Life you to may do. be learning lines for Amy Sherman Palladino right you now. You might be. But yeah, I would love that. And Gail Feldman Turner wants to know, she wants to know if you start with how it would end and work backwards from there when you're designing a series. I'm paraphrasing your question a little bit, Gail, but I think that's what you mean, which is she said, I seriously would like to know if they started with how it would end and worked their way backwards from there. I think what we generally do is lie and tell you that we know the ending. <laughs> 
And then, because honestly, like everything changes so quickly, you can think you know the ending and it will slip out of your fingers. Well, and like you don't know what character and actor dynamics and chemistry is going to be like nope. until you start. You also get really, really enamored of a particular plot turn or twist and then it kind of stinks on its feet. So you have to sort of rebuild it. I know Shonda very often knows how a season will end and she'll have a very specific idea and she'll drive to that. You and she'll, to... she's flexible too. She'll she sure change. is. But like I did have an idea for the end of the pilot and then you guys said that's the end of your season, not the end of the pilot, which I agreed with. And then we ended up doing it at the end of, of episode four. So the goalposts just keep changing. The story sort of tells you what it needs to be. Exactly. In, the, in a very organic, thrillingly seat of your pants kind of a way. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, it was and my taking pleasure. a little bit of time out of your vacation. Congratulations on this season finale, your two episodes, and also so excited about next season. Thank you. We're going to go to work on that. As you guys all know, I work here, but because I don't write, I get to be Alan's biggest fan. Well, but you guys, I should also say, like, just for the fans, who, because you don't get to talk about what you do all the uh, time. No, no, talk about that. But, like, no. this Shondaland is as good as you imagine it is. Like, I don't ever want to work you anywhere guys. else ever. And We're going like, to hold you to that. No, but the, Shonda and Betsy made a commitment to me 10 years ago as a writer and a friend. Mm-hmm. And here we are 10 years later eating chocolate, talking on, on what stands in for radio these days That's about so this cool. thing we made together. And it's a unique thing in this business and especially in this town to be able to have relationships that last that long. This is a great place and, and Betsy Beers is amazing. Oh, and thank, thank you, Alan. So just thank let's you, end the season of podcasts with a little <laughs> celebration. And I'm very grateful that you guys are still watching. Please tell your friends to watch. Yeah, come on, you guys, tell your friends. Yeah. We'll be back next season and hopefully your, you and your friends will all be sitting around and eating chocolate and watching the catch. That would be amazing. Which would be just incredible. I would appreciate it so much if uh, that and happened. you won't regret it. Thank you so much, Alan. And thank you, EW.com, for posting an exclusive first listen to the podcast every Thursday night. Thank you, fans, for watching all of our Shondaland shows this season on ABC and for listening to this podcast so patiently via EW.com or iTunes. Find a cure, sort of, for your Shondaland hangover for rewatching all the recent episodes on ABC.com or watch ABC app over the summer. You can have rewatching parties. There might be stuff you missed. What about that scene that you just talked about with Agent Sean giving Danny a funny look? Go check it out. That's Discuss true. amongst yourselves. You can always re-listen to past podcasts at the iTunes.com backslash Shondaland. So have a wonderful summer, everyone. Stay safe, and we'll be back in the fall with new podcasts podcast episodes for Shondaland Revealed. This is Betsy Beers. Have a great summer. Bye-bye.